This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Leading Second, we're back. Season five, uh, welcome to a new season of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and my wife Lindsay and I have the incredible honor of founding and hosting this tribe that we call Leading Second. If you lead from the middle in your church or your ministry, Leading Second is your tribe. So welcome home. Man, we're so excited about our tribe in this season and really this season of the podcast, you know, Leading Second began as a dream in our hearts uh, just about four years ago, and today has grown into a tribe of thousands of engaged leaders across North America and around the world. So we're really glad you're here today. And uh, if you're listening to this on release day, Leading Second Camp is happening today. I hope you were able to be with us. If not, plan to be with us as we announce future event dates. Um, It's a powerful event and the first gathering of our tribe we're so excited about. And hey, however you're listening to this today on the podcast, I want to encourage you to hit subscribe because we have a powerful lineup of episodes and conversations headed your way every Thursday this spring. You're also going to want to check out the show notes for each episode. Look for the timestamps of different segments as each episode is going to be packed. Multiple segments, having the conversations we need to be having. And hey, our concept for this season is from the second chair for the second chair. We're going to be having uh, conversations with some of the best second chair leaders in the local church. We are not going to stay safe. We're not. We're going to talk about what we need to be talking about. The times are urgent. And healthy leaders have never been so essential to the local church. So, hey, buckle up. Season five. Here we go. We're really excited about this. So there's a saying that goes like this. If you're not the lead dog, your view never changes. (laughs) And this very inaccurate saying has been around forever. And it proposes the idea that the only one with a decent view is the one out front, the, the lead dog. All the other dogs are just looking at the rear end, you know, of the dog in front of him. And I just want to say at the outset of this season, our conviction at leading second is that nothing could be farther from the truth. That behind every great leader are teams of leaders serving tirelessly, serving diligently toward the same mission. Uh, no founder, no pioneer would would say they got where they got on their own. And this space, this season is dedicated to bringing dignity and honor to the second chair so that you and myself, that we would run strong for the kingdom in this hour, that we would be found faithful before God we would honor the, the, the ministry that's been entrusted to us by our leaders and ultimately that the church would move forward in Jesus' name. Well, hey, we have a packed episode for you today. And first up, we had a question come in with a listener. So excited to get back to these segments. Let's check out this great question. 
sitting here today with Crystal from San Antonio, Texas. What's up, Crystal? Yes, excited to be on the podcast today. I am with the Purpose Church in San Antonio, Texas, with Pastor Landon and Pastor Kelly Kiker, and I get to serve here on staff um, over worship and our small groups. Awesome. Awesome. Love you guys and uh, love all that God is doing. You were the last flight home for me before the big COVID hit. So <laughs> never, never forget that weekend. Uh, but hey, you had a great question, a really important question um, that I wanted to take a minute and address here today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this this question kind of came up in episode and I've been thinking about it so much. Um, and really the question is, um, how do we stay healthy, um, as leading second people as, as leaders, um, when we're in a role that requires submission, honestly, it's a submission that we're happy to do. Um, I identify with that, that my life's calling is to, to move the vision forward, to serve my church, to serve the teams Mm. that I lead, to serve my pastors, Um, but as I continue to grow, I just would love some more wisdom. It's great. How do, how do we stay healthy? This is a great, great question. And, um, to be really honest, I've only just started putting some thought into it recently. It's come up a couple of times and I think you're, you're so wise to ask it crystal because I know you and I know so many of our listeners, we just truly want to get it right for our pastors ultimately for Christ and be found faithful. And so when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, among multiple places, but when he said you will find your life when you lose it, I think we took him at his word, you know, and we're saying, okay, I, Jesus, I'm willing, I'm willing to lead second. I'm willing to put me second um, so that you can be first so that what you've put in my pastor can go first. I truly believe it is a God honoring, uh, posture of humility. It's a place that God honors. Um, I will say too, Crystal, uh, after, you know, a couple decades in ministry for me now and in the same church, pretty much my whole life. Um, I can say with honesty, um, before God, before our listeners, I can say I have joy when it comes to submitting and and living under godly authority in my life. I genuinely, I don't resent it. I feel free. I feel more free than if I was free of authority. I mean, I, I just, I feel, I feel empowered. You know, I feel like I've seen how I find my life when I lose it. Um, I do though recognize there is a long journey to get there and someone today may still be on that journey. Maybe we can mine for some thoughts for you really fast. So I'm going to do my best. This doesn't turn into like a 20 minute segment here, but you're, you're like hitting a nerve, uh, crystal. First of all, I want to remind every leader listening that, um, where you go, the team will go. That if you, especially if you lead in an executive level, the reason that your, your, your health matters and your perspective matters is, is you can't take your team where you haven't gone first yourself. And so we will never and can never expect the majority of our team to find life in submitting to and honoring our pastors and what's in their hearts if we don't find joy and life in that. So this work is really, really important. 
here's the main thought I, I had when you asked your question today before we pushed record was this, Crystal. There is a huge difference between submission and stuffing. <laughs> you know, there, there is a huge difference to um, to truly laying something down and just laying it aside. You know, to me, Jesus called us to lose our lives. That means there are things in our lives that will have to die. And I know that sounds so dramatic, but there are things in our lives that we have to lay down, like not just stuff and put them aside and be resentful. We're not getting to them and, you know, we're frustrated. We're not getting to them, but actually we come to the point of, um, I may never do that. Or that idea I have may never come to life and actually come to a place of peace with that. Here's why you can do that safely in the kingdom. Crystal is the church and the kingdom of God. The most beautiful part about it is that it is a garden and not a graveyard. A graveyard is where dead things go to die. A garden is where things go in the ground to die, but bring forth new life. And, and so when you, when you lose your life in the kingdom, you're actually laying it down and letting it die, but you're believing for God to do something even better in its place. This is where Abraham had to come to. When God gave him Isaac, the answer to a life of prayer, you know, a miracle child in their old age, and then God asked him to put his son to death. I mean, can you, can you even imagine what he went through? And, and so we, we, we see this spirit. In countless places in scripture, but certainly in Abraham here, he was willing. He, he, he did not have the Bible to read. He did not have Abraham to look at. All he knew was that my God is asking this of me and I need to do it. And, um, because he was faithful, um, of course God provided and God rescued and God redeemed. I'll tell you the place that I had to get to personally, Crystal, was this place where I actually believed, not just tolerated the idea, but believed that I was better, that my ministry was better. If I laid some things down in order to see the big thing that I was a part of my church succeed, there's a little sneaky line in the Ladies Second Creed, if you'll notice that we tucked in there. And it's actually, um, the line that says this, my personal success is second to my church's success. And I know in our day of self-actualization and, and people, our culture telling us that you are your own authority and your, your primary purpose in life is to self-actualize and become your greatest version of you. Um, as Nathan Finocchio calls Christian Buddhists, you know, I, I know that that line will make people bristle, but I actually firmly believe it. And that's the place that I came to, that I, that my ministry was better. And I'll tell you how I was able to come to that place. And I'll close my very long answer for you here today. Here's how I settled that crystal is I had to settle. What was the end goal for my ministry? Like, let's begin with the end in mind. What's the end goal for my ministry? Is it building a big ministry? Is it building a name? Is it getting my way? Is it being used powerfully by God? You know, like, like, like what, what is the end goal of my ministry? What is it? 
And I'll tell you the answer I settled on. The answer I settled on was I want to be found faithful in the sight of God in eternity. That that was my end goal. And I firmly believe that my pastor will stand before God and answer for our church and how they stewarded our church. I truly believe that I will stand before God and answer to how I lived and honored and thrived and held up the arms of uh, the authority God had placed over me. And I actually believe I'll answer for it. And maybe my target should be about answering and being found faithful in eternity before God than it is achieving something great here on earth. I know that's very pie in the sky. That's just the place you have to come to, right? It's just, we, what are we doing this for? You know, and who are we doing this for? And I will say the idea of being found faithful before Jesus helps me every single day. I just was out this morning praying about that. Jesus, my all, I, I want to do everything you want me to do today. Nothing more, nothing less. And I just want to be found faithful. So maybe that'll help someone today. I think we could talk for a long time on this. You asked a brilliant question, but I pray that's life for someone today. Yes. Thank you so much. It helped me and I know it's going to help so many others too. So this season on the podcast, there is one word that we're going to center many of our conversations around. This is one word that has been absolutely wrecking me the last few months. Uh, I'll admit to you, I have been on a journey the last few months. I have been asking myself, I have been asking God, really, what is the target for my ministry? Like, what is God looking for from me in ministry? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. I've been asking myself, is he asking me to build a big ministry? You know, size and, and uh, you know, the harvest is plentiful kind of an idea. Is it to build an influential ministry? You know, a ministry of sizable reach? Is that what he's asking me to do? Is it to build a punchy truth-telling ministry, a potent ministry, you know, the ministry that says, you know, said the harshest, hardest stuff that needs to be said? I mean, what is it? What's the target? I don't know if you've asked yourself that recently, but that's been the journey that I've been on headed into season five. You know, we're living and we're leading in a brave new world, and our nation has never needed healthy, thriving local churches like it does now. I am convicted right now. A confused world needs a powerful church. A confused world needs a clear church. My search to answer this question uh, led me to the parable of the talents. And I want to go there uh, with us for a minute today, Matthew chapter 25. Um, I won't exhaust this parable because you're leaders. And like me, you've heard this parable taught a number of times. Uh, but I want to hit this for just a minute to set up where we're going to go this season on the podcast. You know, the parable of the talents, the master entrusts his, his property to his servants. He goes on a journey and he comes back and he basically asks them, what did you do? 
with my property while I was gone. I want to remind us, first of all, that the primary application of this scripture and this parable is a view of Jesus as a resurrected king that would be represented by the owner going on a long journey who has entrusted his wealth, which would be people or his church, to his servants, which would be leaders, you know, which would be pastors and 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 those those entrusted to steward his property while he's away. And then of course, um, you know, the, the, the master Jesus returns. He's, he's our soon coming King. And at the end of this age, he will return and we will give an account. We, we see three things in this parable. Number one, every servant in the parable was given something. By the way, they were given it according to their ability. There's a whole message there on capacity that we need to keep talking about. Number two, they were all expected to do something with what they had been given. And then third, they were held accountable or they were rewarded with eternal rewards or punishments based on what they had done. The ones who had been good stewards, here's where I'm going with this. The ones who had been good stewards of the master's property heard these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I've really come to believe that the question for all of us in ministry is not, did you do enough for me? You know, Jesus asked us, you know, did you do, did you do more? Did you do enough? As if we could earn our salvation in the first place, you know? I really believe that the question that Jesus is asking over our lives as leaders in this hour isn't, did you do enough for me? But rather this, did you do everything I asked you to do? Were you faithful with the life I gave you beyond your sin to serve me and build my church? So not, did you do enough for me, but did you do everything I asked you to do is, in other words, were you faithful? Were you faithful? And that's the word that's been wrecking me recently. And the word that we're going to frame this season of the podcast around. So yes, I believe a confused world needs a powerful church. And I believe a confused world needs a clear church. But I'm going to argue for all of us this season that a confused world needs a faithful church. You know, recently we had a scare at our home that no dog owning parent, you know, with, with little kids in the house wants to have. And that's that our dog got out. (laughs) I came out of my office. I was working into the evening. It was dinner time. And I come outside to the hallway and the front door is wide open and it, it had blown open. It hadn't been closed properly. And I immediately come out to the family. I'm like, where's the dog? You know, where, where's Luna? And, um, you know, mild freak out happens in the house. We're looking in all the normal hiding spots. She's usually not far away from any of us. And, um, Lindsay runs to the front door and, uh, she calls Luna and Luna happened to be standing right in the front yard. We went back on the camera and looked and she was out there for a little bit. And she's a fast dog and she could have got away. And, you know, you start to think what, you know, what could have happened, you know, 
And what, you know, what if she strayed, you know, what if she would have got away? Uh, what if she would have been in danger? And here's my point to the story. When we went looking for her, she was right in the front yard. In other words, she hadn't strayed. She hadn't wandered. She knew where her home was and she stayed there. She stayed close to home. And you know, it got me thinking this season has seen a lot of leaders through the confusion and the messaging that we hear in culture around this season has had a lot of leaders seeing themselves detached from the place that God has planted them, detached from their mission, deconstructing their faith. We're going to talk about that today. And I'm just going to come out of the gate and say, at leading second, we're on a mission to combat this. We're on a mission to see that no leader in our tribe will ever find themselves wandering and adrift. It says in the book of Hebrews, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And my prayer is that these conversations this season will help you to be found faithful before God, that you will not drift, that you will stay anchored in this hope that we have, and you will be faithful to your assignment. Proverbs chapter three and verse three says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse four, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. By the way, side note, it doesn't just say let love never leave you. Our deconstructing culture uses that a lot, you know, that all a Christian is supposed to do is love, which yes, the Bible does say the greatest of these is love. Um, however, our, our popular progressive culture is taking the word love and it's using a totally different meaning to the word love, um, and applying it to scripture, love just being let everyone do what they want to do basically. And that's not, biblically accurate. And that's not what scripture is saying. It's saying, let love and faithfulness never leave you. I think if there was one phrase that would be spoken over my life that I'd want to hear and be remembered for, it would be this. He was faithful. So what does faithfulness look like? What does it mean to be a biblically faithful leader? You know, in the kingdom, you are much more than a strategist or a worker or a leader or a coach, you are a minister of the gospel. Everyone listening to this to me, like you are entrusted with the great mysteries of God to lead in God's church in this hour. So what does it mean for us to be biblically faithful? What does it mean for us to be faithful under authority, under our pastors and leaders God has placed over us? This is all what we're going to explore here on season five of the podcast. I'm so excited and just believing God that we're going to raise up faithful leaders in this season of the church. Okay, so for our final segment, our interview segment of the day, we're going to hear starting out the season from our good friend, Joshua Bingle on leading in a season of deconstruction. Uh, Josh is a great friend of leading second. He is no stranger to the podcast. Uh, he's the friend I go to when I need to talk something out. And this topic certainly meets that criteria. 
Uh, we sat down with no script, no notes. I called him like a day before and said, Hey, I want to talk with you about something. And, um, we had this conversation about leading among a deconstructing culture. And I think you're going to find this really helpful to get us started this season. So here it is my conversation with Joshua Bingle on leading in a season of deconstruction. Let's go. All right, my friend, Joshua Bingle, welcome back to the leading second podcast. What's up today? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm great. My favorite guest. We love you. Love your voice. You're whenever I have questions. You're the person I call. So I figure maybe today on the podcast, it's like we're calling a friend. We're phoning a friend and saying, like, we need some perspective on something right now. And um, we're talking on this episode today about being found faithful and, um, you know, that any relationship can experience drift. And uh, the apostle Paul actually warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ. So we see our relationship with Christ there. You're kind of like a, like a groom and a bride uh, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the spirit's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And what I wanted to talk with you about for just a couple minutes is here is when drift becomes deconstruction. Mm. When drift becomes deconstruction, I feel like drift can happen in any relationship. But right now we are living in and leading in a, a season, a moment. I'm sure it's always been there, but a heightened moment right now of deconstruction. It's almost like trendy. You know, to like, like you, know, you come out on Instagram, like I'm deconstructing, you know, or, or something, I guess, are you seeing this right now? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, we just have to be aware that this is here and it's not going anywhere. And there's a whole lot of reasons behind it. And what I, what I'm interested in is like, how do we pastor through it? How do we pastor in an age of deconstruction? How do we lead in an age of deconstruction? What's the heart posture that we take? Right. We take the right, the wrong heart posture. Um, there are people who are on the brink um, that you will push over the edge. Right. Right. Um, like the the phenomenon of deconstruction should upset us, um, but we should be heartbroken for the people. Oh, totally. Like the people are not the people in your on your teams or in your churches or in your family who are walking through this and who are wrestling in this, they are not yes. the enemy. Like, so I just like on the front end, our heart posture is yeah. so important that, that the phenomenon itself, it should rile us up because it's yes. of the devil. When we're, when we're talking about pure deconstruction, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of that in a little bit, but when we're talking about pure deconstruction that is of the devil and the phenomenon should break. Should, we should be angry at, but for the people, yeah we should be weeping. We should be broken hearted. We should be wrestling, yeah. loving. Nothing, nothing has broken my heart more the last two years. Honestly, I don't think any thing has broken my heart more than seeing people who I have known and loved, loved in the life of church to see them, to see them walk away from Orthodox Christianity to, to see them, to see them denounce it the same way they confessed it at one time. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's heavy and I don't know one person that's done it. That's joyful. Mm. And, and the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy spirit. And to me, it's like, 
we start missing some of those markers. Anyways, I want to hear from you, first of all, today. Help us with some language, first of all. Like, what is deconstruction? Like, when people say, I'm deconstructing, like, what is this term that we're now all hearing? Yeah, I think something that's important, well, I'm kind of going to talk to two different groups of people. I'm going to talk to people who maybe you're wrestling through big questions with your faith, because we know that that people like that are listening to the podcast. And then also leaders of people who are going to be leading people through those wrestles. And so I just want to be clear that just because you have big questions about your faith and big questions about God does not necessarily mean that you're deconstructing. Just because you're asking hard questions, just because things about God don't seem to make sense, just because there are things about what the church has been a part of in the past and maybe in some instances still is, gives you pause and bothers you, doesn't mean that deconstruction is your only option. Right. Right. What what turns something into deconstruction, these are two things that, that we need to be aware of, is where we are asking the questions and how we are asking the questions. Mm. And we have a lot of young people in our church, and I would argue many of them who have been brought back from the brink of deconstruction, because I believe we pastored it well and are pastoring it well. We didn't always. Uh, I had to learn to be upset with the phenomenon and not the people, because I'll get mad at the people. Like, don't you know, like, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? But then realizing that those those hurts and those thoughts and those questions uh, were were coming from some very deep places. So where I'm asking those questions, I need to ask those questions of the church. Like I need to ask them in the church. If I have questions about my faith and questions about church, I'm going to talk to my pastor. I'm not going to talk to uh, some blog on the internet. I'm not going to talk to some Instagram account. It's like, if I have cancer, I'm not going to go talk to an auto mechanic. Right. I'm not going to go talk to a plumber. I'm going to talk to a doctor because a doctor can help me. So where Mm -hmm. I ask those questions is very important and how I ask those questions. Am I seeking to uncover truth or am I trying to prove a point? Right. That's a very big distinction. And so if you are asking these deep wrestle questions of the church, if you're asking them in the church, asking in your past to uncover truth, those two things are very important. Every person that I know of who's been in ministry for a long stretch of time or who has followed God for a long stretch of time has asked very big questions about their faith. But what turns it into deconstruction very quickly is when I go outside of the church and I'm no longer necessarily really asking questions to uncover truth. I'm trying to prove a point about something that happened to me. I'm trying to prove a point about something that somebody Mm. said to me. And you may Mm. think that that's a very broad brush way to paint it. But that's what we're trying to do here is give us kind of a general framework for what this is. So just because you're asking big questions about your faith does not mean that you're deconstructing. And leader who's listening, just because people on your team have really big, hard questions about their faith, please be careful to not just label them as somebody who's deconstructing. Pastor them in Jesus' name. Beautiful. Boom. Well said. We could stop recording right there. That was that was that was, that was awesome. And don't you agree with this thought that there is provision in the gospel for our questions? Yes. Right? And, and that there is there is provision in the gospel for doubt. Like Thomas needed to see the scars. 
Yeah. He, he, he needed it in order to be free of, of doubt and cynicism about Jesus' resurrection. And so Jesus provided him what he needed. So I, I find that so beautiful and compassionate of, of Jesus to be standing there in resurrected form and still still be able to to show proof. So to me, there there is provision in the gospel. And some of the greatest disciples I know are the ones that have some of the greatest questions. Like questions can run alongside great faith. Yeah. And and if we can get back to that place, um, I, I, I think it, it takes this route off the table for people. If we can understand and sit in that. Um, I've also heard it, sounds it like this. It sounds like I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes. Yes, totally. That's what it sounds like. Where it becomes deconstruction yes. is when I no longer believe in the authority of scripture. I no longer believe in the sovereignty of God. That's where it's, it's no longer, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yep. I am now doing what I can, whether intentionally or unintentionally to recreate God in my yep. image in a way that is palatable for me. And so I believe, yep. but help my unbelief. That is Beautiful. the posture to ask questions in your faith. My my first time I encountered a young leader uh, who I think it's safe to say would would be in this on this journey um, was toward the end of 2019. And um, as I was walking through coaching sessions with this leader, I realized that the authority of Scripture was under question Mm. in, in this leader's life. It was a thread that got pulled. You know, what if Adam and Eve weren't real people? What if they're metaphors? What if, what if Jonah's whale, you know, was a metaphor? Um, you start go, you know, what if, what if tithing's not actually, you see, you, you start pulling the threads on the authority of scripture. And if, if Adam and Eve aren't real people and, and Jonah's whale isn't real, like what, who is the, to say that we don't then add up, we don't actually have a resurrected savior. And if the thread gets pulled that far, we have no faith. And, and so if I was the enemy, this is what I would do is I would, I would try to get as many people as possible to pull that thread uh, out of their faith. So to me, and tell me if you agree with this, I think that the question of the authority of scripture and the infallibility of scripture is, is one of the major Genesis points of a deconstruction journey. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Especially in the cultural waters that we're swimming in that, needs to problematize everything. Right. Um, when, when, when you're swimming in that water and you see something in the scripture that may seem contradictory or, um, that may fly in the face of what you think morality is. Um, traditionally what we have done is we've tried to understand what the scripture meant. Now what mm-hmm. we do is we run to problematizing the scripture and, when you start, when you start doing that and undermining the authority of scripture, then that is a, it's a real slippery slope. It's not to say there are things about scripture that we don't understand or questions that we right. shouldn't ask again, ask God's not afraid of your questions, but where are you asking them and how are you asking them is, is massively, massively yeah. important. And there are different kinds of deconstructors. Talk about that for a minute. That's important for, for leaders really to understand is that if you're not careful, you can lump all of this into one kind of bucket. And that's just not doing it justice. Like in Ezekiel 34, 
God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against the false shepherds of Israel. And he tells them, um, he, he distinguishes between three different kinds of the sheep that the shepherds weren't taking care of. He says, the weak you haven't strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, and the injured you haven't bound up. That's Ezekiel chapter 34. Mm. And so I think that those, those are the different kinds of, of sheep, if we use this metaphor that Jesus did, those different places where they deconstruct from. Some is just weakness. Some is from a sickness of the soul. Some is from an injury. Like, and, and you have to treat those things very differently. Weak, weakness, a weak sheep, you know, that's just an anemic relationship with God. Maybe they're new in their faith. Mm. Maybe they have known of God for a long time, but they've never really searched his word. They've kind of been around the orbit of the church. And these are the kind of people who get picked off by the internet theologians and because they just don't know any better. And if you treat that person like somebody who has an ax to grind with the church, you're going to push them over the brink. Right. You have to be able to identify, oh, okay, this is just some weakness here. They just don't really know scripture that well. Then you have people with sickness, like a soul sickness. They're disillusioned with the church. They, um, they thought that it should be some kind of way, or they've seen things in leadership that have just bothered them. Whether they are right or wrong to be bothered, they are bothered. And there's like a sickness of the soul. There's a fence. Hmm. Uh, there was a conversation with a leader. We would call this kind of church hurt. Right. It right. becomes sickness in the soul. And, and these, these are people that I think when we talk about deconstruction, this is where most pastors' minds go is somebody like this, hmm. usually rooted in some sort of offense. They had, they had a friend who went through something. Very often it's tied to sexuality, either their own right. or somebody else's. Right. They feel like the church should have done something different. And most of these people, in my experience, their problem is not with God. It's with the church. True. If their problem was with God, then they wouldn't try and rearrange the scripture to back sure. up their faith, they would just walk away. But but this kind of deconstruction, this is just bitterness that's masquerading as wisdom. That's all that it is. Mm. Is there's there's some sort of soul sickness, and we need the great physician to work. We need him to work. We need to pray. I've heard it also said that just just to add on to your definition there, I've heard it also said that this is doubt uh, being presented as a virtue. So you, you, so you, this is like, like I'm virtuous because I'm doubting like it's a fruit of the spirit or something, right. you know? Yep. Yep. And th that sickness though, sometimes those are the ones that take the longest and you have to be in the wrestle with them. Mm. Like you, you have to, if they are willing to, and you have to be willing to wrestle those hard questions down to the ground as, as I have experienced walking with, people on the brink of a sickness type deconstruction. The main reason again is because of how the church most often how the right. church treated somebody right. who had a question or someone in a student ministry came and said, I'm wrestling with my sexuality. I'm right. And, and the way that the youth pastor, the way that the leader responded again, whether they responded properly or not, the person felt like it was the improper way. So when I get to walk with them in this and I get to stay in relationship and I get to keep wrestling with them again, using wisdom, don't chase people who don't want to get better, but 
but when I can stay with them in that sickness, we've seen people come back from that when we model what the church is, that we mm. stick together through thick and thin, um, and we wrestle through those hard questions together. Mm. So that's weakness and sickness. Then injury, you know, that's something you got blindsided, something that right. needs to be outside of the character of God. Like you lost a family member, and what you believed about God is that if I just profess faith and I don't get cancer and I won't die. Yeah. And maybe something you believed about God, but isn't actually, you know, true according right. to his word, some sort of injury right. comes in. And again, with those people, it's, it's going to be time. It's going to be time loving. It's going to be time checking in. Um, so even I think it's been helpful to be able to identify the different kinds of deconstruction mm. that there is, because if somebody's weak, I'm going to put them in the weight room. I'm going to, I'm going to keep giving them the word, but if they have an right. injury and I put them in the weight room, I could maim them for life. Yeah. I've never heard it said like that. That is, that is beautiful. That is awesome, Josh. Thank you. So maybe the last thing I'd want to ask you is just what do we do about it? You know, in this season. And, and I guess I'll say it like this. Um, I kind of view it as if someone has crossed a certain line and they're past a certain point, um, into this journey. Uh, recovery is rare. Um, certainly prayer, God can, God can do anything. Um, but outside of that, it's very rare, you know, people, people return. So I think part of this conversation and the reason I'm wanting to have it is to maybe help us recognize it in some before they ever walk that journey or, or before they cross that line, if you will also realizing this is now here. And this is now part of, of the conversation surrounding the church. And you'd have to think that for the foreseeable future, it, this is going to be in our conversation. This is going to be in the mix. It's not going anywhere. Um, it could get worse. So just what do we do it, do about it? And how do we lead in a culture where we could see this a part of the conversation for a while now? It's a great question. Um, I think leaders need to be braver than ever in um, inviting difficult questions. That's one thing that you need that we need to be able to do is because our people are asking questions. And if they don't feel comfortable asking them to us, they're going to ask TikTok and they're going to ask Instagram and they're going to ask their friends yep. who don't have the same love for God's church and don't have the same scriptural understanding that you do. And so maybe it's something as simple as sitting down in a staff meeting or sitting down in a team meeting and going, Hey, we want to be a place where you can ask hard questions about faith. Like, I don't want to make mountains out of molehills, but I just want you guys to know that if you have questions or you see things on the internet that someone's making the case for X, Y, Z thing, and you go, you know what? That kind of makes sense. I want you to know that you can come and talk to me about, that. right. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be upset with right. you. I want you to be asking those questions, which leads to the second thing is that you need to have answers from scripture. You need to know what God says about sexuality and how to pastor it. You need to know what God says. And a lot of the, the scriptural kind of words that have been hijacked by this cultural moment, you need to know what God's heart is around justice and around love and unity, all these kind of buzzwords that are out there that are Bible words, but have been hijacked and stuffed right. with new meaning. 
you need to be able to have an answer for those things. What does God say about this? Because we can't just be the kind of leaders who say, it's not that, it's not that, right. it's not that, it's not that, right. it's not that. And then our people go, well, what is it? And you go, well, I don't know. It's not that. Then all you're doing is you're a deconstructing culture, but you're, you're just using Bible language, but you're not building right. anything. Right. Like we have to be builders. And if we don't know what it is, we can't build. We can't just be the kind of people who are like, not that, not that, not that, not that. It's not this, it's not this. And then they go, well, what is it? And you go, well, I don't know. I just know it's not that. That's not compelling right. because somebody will tell them what, what, what it is. Samuel right. said this on Twitter last night, that if you deconstruct your faith, Satan will reconstruct it for you. Mm. So Man. somebody is reconstructing it. Somebody is answering those questions. And so it might mean you need to go away to the mountains for three days and you need to get you some good books and you need to rest. You need to pray and you need to go. What does, what has the church said about these things so that you can invite those questions? This is a place where I want you to be able to wrestle through hard stuff. And then you need to have answers for those questions. I would say that's how we lead in this season. Yeah. I think this is why we've seen some of the decline of what's been called uh, the attractional church model. Uh, and, and I think part of it is because part of that, that model wants to make Sundays as, um, as least offensive as possible, you know? So we take Bible words and we kind of use like sexy, cool contemporary words to describe them, you know? And um, I feel like this hour is, it, it, let, me, let me back up. I'm not one to be, critical of the church, um, to, to, to be mean because though that had its day, it had its purpose. Um, it, it had a moment where it mattered. And so I'm not, not, um, criticizing, but in this moment today, I think, um, the, we're needing more potency around our language. We're needing Bible words to have Bible meaning again, <laughs> you know, uh, call prayer, prayer, call fasting, fasting, call tithing, tithing, call the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, miracles, miracles. I mean, let's, let's get back to what, what scripture says about itself, what it says about Jesus, you know, let's bring the potency back to our preaching, you know, and I, I think that's what this hour is calling for, because you're right that there is a special blessing of God. When you get clear in your communication and you get clear in your leadership, yes, you're going to lose some, yes, you're going to be like Jesus who said, I came with a sword, you know, there's a line that's going to be drawn in the sand. Yes, it's going to happen. But you, I think you'll also see a very special blessing from God on your ministry, you know, and, and, um, you'll, you'll see God use that clarity. Yeah. Our friend, uh, Jason Parrish says he's taken to saying the future is ancient. Yes. I love it. I love that statement. Shout out Jason Parrish. Hey, my friend, I love your perspective as always. Thank you for adding value to our tribe and our world. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Come back soon and have a conversation with us about church hurt. Okay. That would be, that would, that would be an interesting one. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Glad we can negotiate right over, over, um, in front of a few thousand friends. That's awesome. Love you, my friend. Thanks love so you, much. For more information, check out LeadingSecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingSecond and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.